If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, Christ the King. And I want to say Merry Christmas to the Bellingham campus, to the Ferndale campus, those who are watching at our campus in Ferndale, and those who are watching online as well. We welcome all of you in the name of the King of Glory, Jesus Christ, who has sponsored Christmas again this year in Whatcom County. Yes, he has. Awesome. A couple of very brief announcements as we get started. Between uh, Saturday night at Bellingham and next weekend, we will have church 15 times in the Christ the King family. We would appreciate prayer for strength as we go through it. On Sunday evening here at the Bellingham campus, we are going to be celebrating candlelight communion. Very special, very, very special night. It's going to be quiet, celebratory, reflective, exciting, passionate, and we're going to come together to receive communion as we get ready to enter into a celebration of the Incarnation. So it's 6 o'clock at the Bellingham campus. We invite you to come. You may want to come early. It's a part of the series. So this weekend, we'll be talking about Joseph and what he had to release. And then on Sunday evening, we'll be talking about Mary, what she had to release. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about Jesus and what he let go of in order to become our Savior. So we invite you to come. Candlelight Communion, 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Then four Christmas Eve services, all at the Bellingham campus at 5, 6.30, 8, and 9.30. We've got child care at the first three, no child care at the last one. So if you have younger family, we invite you to come to the earlier services. I'm just going to warn you, 5 and 6.30 tend to be packed to the gills. So you may want to make alternate plans, 8 and 9.30. I know we're going to be very, very comfortable. I checked the forecast. It looks like it's going to be raining, which is awesome, because that means all of the mean, nasty people who sent me emails last year about how dare I cancel Jesus' birthday will not be able to send those letters to me again. And if in God's providence He does make it snow, it's His birthday. He can do with it what He wants to and if you have an issue with whether we have a Christmas service or not, you can come to my house at 11 o'clock when I'm having my own ulcer on the back deck trying to figure out whether I should call out several hundred volunteers to make church happen for you. You can come and join me and we'll let the decision be yours. Okay, so I've been storing that up for about a year. I feel better. All right, so if you own a television or have read the newspaper or turned on the radio in the past 14 days, you have had a front row seat to, show, to be able to see how fragile a person's reputation can be. We have been watching a person's reputation crumble. And in case you want to know as a believer of God what your response should be, it should be to pray for he and his family not pick them apart. One second you're a hero, the next moment you're not. One moment you're on top of the world, everything's perfect, and then because of a series of bad decisions, you are completely exposed, and your life is on the front page of every newspaper in this country. One moment your reputation's intact, the next it's absolutely devastated. And the Bible speaks about it. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says this, a sterling reputation is better than striking it rich. A gracious spirit is better than money in the bank. 
Let me tell you what scripture means. It means having a solid reputation is priceless. Whether it's the reputation of being an honest business person or a fair employer or a good teacher or, or a good parent or an upstanding young person, the Bible says that a reputation has value because people want to interact with someone of wonderful, impeccable character and your character is always summed up in your reputation, whatever it happens to be. Warren Buffett once said this, he said, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin one. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. And I quote, One bad decision to compromise, to give in, to be untrue to God's leaving, and your reputation can be gone in an instant. It can happen to you, it can happen to me, and if you think it can't happen to any of us, you're fooling yourself. The man we're going to talk about in this service is a man with a stellar reputation, a pristine reputation. He's worked unbelievably hard to make good choices, but now, because of a decision that he didn't even have anything to do with, his whole world is going to get rocked. His reputation is going to be put up for public debate, and we're going to get an opportunity to watch what Joseph does when his reputation is rattled because God is drawing near. The Bible says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's just cover the facts of the Christmas story. It's a bit of a scandal, just so you know. The first fact is this, Joseph is betrothed or promised to marry. That's what verse 18 says. And here's how betrothal worked back then. The punk guy would show up at daddy's doorstep. The punk and the dad would sit together and negotiate what it was going to take for daddy's little girl to be handed over from the care, love, and protection of the dad over to the punk. I have a bit of a bias with this one. My daughter's going to be 14, just so you know. They would negotiate what it would take for the punk to get the daughter's hand in marriage, and the father would lay out the guidelines for taking care of his little girl, and the punk would have to say, yes, sir. If he didn't say, yes, sir, there was no girl. It all went through the dad. I like these rules. I think these rules should still be in effect. I think whoever drew up these rules was a dad and a genius at the same time. A marriage covenant was drawn up and then the guy would leave. I like that part too. He would leave. He would go back to his house and he would work his tail off for an entire year just to get ready for the wedding. There was no messing around during this time, no laziness during this time, no texting or Facebooking during this time. The man was working his tail off and the daddy was in charge. I love it. All right? That was the season Mary and Joseph were in when fact number two shows up. Before the wedding, Mary gets pregnant. Now, just try to wrap yourself around this idea. Joseph and Mary are living in the ancient Middle East. 
They're not living in a liberal, anything-goes, sexually type of society. You think this would have been a scandal. Now you should have seen it back then. I mean, they're living a scandal. They're on the front page of the, of the hometown newspapers. The gossipers are having a field day with this one. In the middle of a betrothal season, the unthinkable happens. Mary is pregnant, and her explanation to her fiancé is that an angel showed up and told her it was God's fault. Awkward, right? I listened to a pastor on the radio the other day try to explain this. And he basically ended up saying that God showed up in Mary's life and forced himself upon her. Just time out right there. This is not a twisted thing. This is not a weird thing. This is God doing a miracle. And he did it for me and you. But I want you to think about it. I mean, take Mary's explanation. Just remove the God part. Who do you believe the community was looking at as a person of interest with regards to this particular scandal? Joseph. Everyone would have been saying, you dirty, rotten punk. You broke the rules, Joe. And now you're going to have to pay. And I find it unbelievably curious that this is the third fact that comes out of the story in verse 19. It actually says that Joseph is a righteous man with a solid reputation. Joseph is one of the good guys. The ancient word used to describe Joseph is sadiq. Which means Joseph had a pristine reputation in the community. Everybody liked him. He was a godly man. He was seen as a good man, a gracious man, a man who cared about holiness, a man who preferred mercy over judgment, a man who deeply cared about the things of God. And people would have been unbelievably freaked out about this. What in the world happened to Joseph? Suddenly everything's in question. His character, his integrity, his moral, his choices. And all of a sudden, this good and righteous man has an unbelievably difficult situation on his hands. I listed in your program that Joseph basically had four options. I'm sure he thought of more. I just gave you four. The first one was death. That was an option. By law, Joseph could have simply testified he'd never been with Mary which meant that somebody else had to be with Mary, which meant that Mary was an adulteress, and the penalty for adultery in this culture was death. He could have had her killed. He could have had her publicly executed, but his righteous heart couldn't even go there because he was in love with her. Second option was divorce. There's some other legal options available to Joseph. He knew the implications of them for Mary. We need to understand them too. A divorced woman in this culture was marginalized and shunned from her family. She was an outcast. And very often the only way that she could ever survive would be to become a beggar or to become a prostitute. Joseph's compassionate heart, his righteous heart, couldn't subject a woman that he loved to that type of a future. I mean, I, I find it amazing that in this moment, Joseph actually cares more about her reputation than he cares about his own. His third option was to deny. I'm not even sure we even think about this one. I mean, he could have, if he wanted to, just denied that she was pregnant at all. Now, that would have been somewhat difficult in months six, seven, eight, and nine, right? 
But he could have denied it. You say, why in the world are you bringing that up, Grant? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but in our society, this is what you do when you've been caught. You deny, 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 until they've got you so dead to rights, you've got no other choice than to choose the truth. Anybody else seen that? Joseph could have denied, but instead he decided, maybe we'll just tell the truth. It was the final option, it was to defend her. He could defend her honor, he could stand with her in the struggle, he could become that knight in shining armor, but there was this one fact that I'm sure made him question defending her. She was pregnant, and he knew he was not the guy, which leaves you with one thing, a very large question mark as to what's really, really going on. Joseph and his question marks decide to go to sleep one night, and this is what the Bible says happened. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to his son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child they will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We've spent the past couple of weeks watching as the wise men released a season of their life so that they could have a face-to-face -face encounter with God Himself. Last week, we saw the shepherds release a responsibility so that they could get so close to God, they could actually touch Him. A season, a responsibility, and this week we're going to see the release of something even more personal. I'm not sure if you've noticed it or not. I hope you have. If you read the story, you find that the more people surrender, the closer God gets. I mean, think about it. The wise men got a star. The shepherds got an angelic choir, a messenger in the sky. Joseph gets an angelic visitor in a dream. And Sunday night, a candlelight communion. Mary actually gets an angel in her bedroom. And the more they release, the closer God gets. So what did Joseph have to release? Well, I put it in your outline this way. I said, in response to God's call, Joseph releases his plan for God's plan. I'm sure Joseph had a plan. In fact, it tells us he had a plan to divorce her quietly. He was going to try and keep her reputation together and just kind of get it over and done with and then just disappear in, in, into the netherworld. I mean, we know this man had an incredible heart, that he was a righteous man, but I'm sure his heart was absolutely troubled at this situation. He didn't ask to have to make the plan. I mean, it's not every day that God shows up and picks your girlfriend to carry his son, right? He has a plan to divorce her quietly, but then an angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. I actually want you, God wants you to take her home and marry her. Now, some of us will go, that seems very noble. That seems very cool. It wasn't. Let me answer why that was such a big deal. It was a big deal because in marrying her, Joseph would be giving up his reputation for good. He'd basically be saying, yeah, that was me. And if it wasn't me, I'm going to take her home anyway. 
Joseph's reputation was gone. It was shot. Because marrying an adulteress was not seen as noble. It was seen as a cover-up, making the best of a bad situation. It was seen as settling. But he goes with God's plan. Christ the King, whose plan are you working with for the next seven days? Your Blackberry, your time schedule, the way you're going to go do things, or are you going to do this God's way? I love that the story of Christmas is so inclusive. Let me just step off here for a second. If you're here, either at Bellingham or at Ferndale, if you're a stepdad, this is an amazing model as to how to do that role. Because Joseph was a stepdad. And all the way along, he kept exchanging his plan for God's plan. His plan for God's plan. Stepdads, if you're freaking out this Christmas because you don't know how to make it work, can I just encourage you to do something? His plan for your plan. Those of you who are complete control freaks, his plan for your plan. Those of you who think this is all about getting as much stuff under the tree as you can, his plan for your plan. To pastors who think it's all about preaching 15 messages. His plan for your plan. What else does he have to release? Secondly, in response to God's call, Joseph releases his fear. I mean, I know for a fact that Joseph was terrified. You know how I know that? Because what are the first words that the angels say? Don't be afraid, right? Why is he saying don't be afraid? Because he's terrified, that's why. I mean, he's worked hard on his reputation. And thinking about giving that, all of that up, that seems unbelievably scary. By taking Mary home, Joseph was giving up amazing opportunities that would have been open for him in the future. He's giving up all of that and basically deciding to be a common peasant. Because that's all you could be if you married an adulteress. I'm positive that Joseph's fear said, you know, take care of yourself. Watch your own back, Joe. Forget about her. You haven't done anything wrong. Why should you suffer? Because she's kind of lost it here. And fear speaks to us powerfully in those moments. But Joseph releases his fear and decides to trust God. His plan or God's plan? What else does he have to release? He has to release his reputation. Verse 24 tells us that. And this is what I love about Joseph. I love that he cares more about what God thinks than what people think. If he didn't, he would never have married Mary. And this one can cut so unbelievably deep for us. Because I've got a question. Do you care more about what the people who are coming to your Christmas party think about you? Or about what God thinks about you? If you care more about what God thinks, my question is, would your party be a little different this year? Parents, do you care more about making your kids happy? Is it about satisfying them and getting everything on their list? Or is it about how God thinks Christmas should happen in your family? Just so you know, if you please God with your Christmas, I guarantee you that your children will be happy. Employees, do you care more about your employer's deadline or sales goal at the end of the year? Or, or are you consumed with making sure that Jesus is in the center of your family celebration and that you won't sacrifice that 
for anything. I love the fact that Joseph made a clear choice. His choice was that the only reputation he cared about was the one that he had with God, and that reputation was one of radical obedience. I love that line. He woke up and he did what God asked him to do. Let me ask a question. What if you entered this Christmas week with one thought in your mind? What if the thought in your mind was this? I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. So I'm going to honor God with my whole being this Christmas. Let me put it to you a different way. Joseph stopped doing image management. He stopped caring what anybody thought about him. And instead, the only image that he was consumed with portraying to anybody was the image that God had stamped on his soul with his thumbprint. How radically different might our Christmases be if the only person we cared about was the one who put the image of God on our soul? What if it was about worshiping Him and loving Him and taking time for Him and being consumed with Him? Would it change? What else did he have to release? Well, finally, he had to release his right to name his own son. I loved naming our kids. It was one of the most amazing moments. And Laurel and I worked really, really hard on names. We had several different names picked up. Brayden, our 16-year-old son, was almost Gavin Cole until he showed up and we looked at him and went, he doesn't look like a Gavin. He looks like a Brayden. McKenna was almost Kenzie Page until she showed up and we looked at her and went, nah, she's not a Kenzie. She's a McKenna. I have no idea why. She just was. The name just seemed to fit. And what an incredible honor as parents to bestow a name on your children. I mean, we need to understand how big of a deal this was to a Jewish dad. A Jewish parent would sum up all of their family history, as well as all of their hopes and dreams, and then they would put that into a name and put that name on their child. Joseph had a good lineage. I mean, he was from the house of David, King David, the biggest guy in Israeli history. They would have wrapped up that name. He would have thought and prayed about that. He would have wondered, what am I supposed to do when I name my first son? But this was the problem. God the Father had already named him. He said, your name is going to be Jesus because he's not yours, Joseph. Mom and dad, I know this may come as a shock to you. They're not yours. They're his. His gift to you. They don't need to try and live up to your name. Their goal should always be to live up to His name. Jewish fathers would often name their children after themselves. It was a way of showing ownership or honor. And Joseph had to lay all of that down. He had to surrender all of that by following the instructions and naming the Savior what God the Father wanted him named. He would name him Jesus, one who would save his people from their sins. And don't forget, Joseph doesn't get to take a break from being Jewish while all of this is going on. Joseph knew that for sins to be forgiven, something, someone was going to have to die. And in giving him that name, 
he knew. One day Jesus would die to cover the sins of people, many of whom would even reject that gift. I wonder if he thought about it when he was tucking Jesus in at night. I wonder if as he wrapped his son and laid him in the manger that unbelievable night, I wonder if he wondered, how's God going to do this? How is God going, God going to sing Jesus to sleep? Greg and Stephanie, would you sing for us, please? Soon enough 
save the day, but for now, dear child of mine, oh my Jesus, sleep Joseph gave up a lot to get to that moment. I don't think any of us have any idea what all he had to lay down to hold a king in his hands. I'd like to think I could do it, but the truth is I don't think I could because in reality I really care about what other people think. I wonder if I would have the courage to lay down my reputation if that's what God asked of me. I believe there's a natural barrier that keeps all of us from releasing this area to God. I put it in your outline with this little sentence. We struggle to release our reputations because we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with pride. Beth Moore is one of my favorite Bible teachers. I thoroughly enjoy her teaching. And she wrote a little, a little piece about pride and what it steals from us. I thought it was so unbelievably appropriate. So I'm just going to read it to you. It goes like this. My name is Pride, and I'm a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because, after all, you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit it when you're wrong. I cheat you a vision because you'd rather look in a mirror than out the window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to get to know the real you. My name is Pride and I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash somebody else's feet on earth cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. My name is Pride and I'm a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you, but that's not true. In truth, I'm looking to make a fool out of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. Because if you stick with pride, you'll never know. Joseph didn't let pride get in the way. He was radically obedient to what God asked him to do, and because of it, he embraced his destiny to be God's stepdad. He only cared about pleasing God, and because he was willing to release his reputation, if you don't get anything else, I hope you'll take this with you. Joseph exchanged his earthly reputation for an opportunity to hold the Son of Joseph got to hold God. He got so close, he actually touched him. His reputation was gone, but his Savior was there. As we head into this Christmas season, my hope and prayer is that you'll consider whether your reputation for men overrides your reputation before God.
may it never be in your life. I hope you'll consider what it may mean to you to completely surrender your plans and follow God's plans instead. I trust that you'll see this time of year as a time to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. My prayer is that you will live out James chapter 4, verse 8 that says if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. I've been thinking all week and asking myself this question. Grant, what's your reputation? I know what I want my reputation to be. I want my reputation to be one of a loudmouth, Bible-thumping Jesus freak. That's what I want my reputation to be. But getting there, I have to ask myself, Do I want to be in man's image or God's image? For the rest of this celebration of his birthday, Christ the King, whose image will you bear? Whose image will you bear? May the image of the incarnate Son of God be stamped on your heart and your countenance so deeply that no one out there in the real world would ever be able to mistake you for anything but a dearly loved, ransomed child of the Most High God who once again is sponsoring Christmas in Whatcom County this year. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, thank you for releasing Jesus. Jesus, thank you for sending an angel to Mary so that she didn't change her mind. Thank you for visiting Joseph in a dream so that he saw that letting go of his reputation would give him an opportunity to hold the Son of God. For my brothers and sisters in this Christmas season, I pray that they would behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that that would revolutionize their Christmas, that they would be willing to sacrifice any and all reputation they may have in the eyes of man and exchange that for a reputation that simply says, I know him. I know Jesus. I am his and he is mine. May our reputation be one of boldly proclaiming the story of Christmas the amazing truth that God is here, that God is near, that He should be forever praised. May we hold that story, live that story, and share that story this week, this holy incarnation week. And it is in God's good name that we pray. Amen.